in our second week of this series called The Fruit of Faith, and, uh, and the thing that I shared with you guys last week, the kind of the premise, wow, Siri thought I was trying to call Fruit of Faith. Uh, the, the thing that I was sharing with you guys last week is that when we put faith in God, uh, to whatever degree we understand who God is, God is, is bigger than we expect him to be, and there is more to him than we expect, and so uh, to whatever degree we know God, that faith moves us forward. So if, if what you know of God, and I'm not minimizing this at all, but if what you know of God is that Jesus is God, and that he died for you, and that in him is salvation, which is the highest thing you can know, if that is what you know, that moves you forward. And as we learn more about God and his compassion and his mercy and his kindness and his grace, that also moves us forward because our faith uh, directs our steps. Our theology this week, our, here's what we have on tap for our theology. It's a long one. It says this, faith in God is the means by which righteousness is given, hope is awakened, and blessing is received. Faith in God is the means by which righteousness is given, hope is awakened, and blessing is received. Our application today is this, what you believe about God and eternity will determine your today. What you believe about God and eternity will determine your today. What I mean by that, well, I'll get to it. That's part of the sermon, right? And our prayer today is this, God, give us a desire to know you more fully so our lives can better bring you glory. The theology being faith in God is the means by which righteousness is given, hope is awakened, and blessing is received. Uh, I don't ever want us to downplay faith. Uh, I grew up in church. I've been in church my entire life. And I grew up believing more times than not uh, that God's pleasure with me was based off of my performance. And that is something that now in my adult years, I've had to work really hard to shake free from. And it ha it's a lot harder to shake free from that in your 40s than it is to kind of learn it correctly. And so if we're learning it correctly, it is our faith in who God is and his provision through Jesus Christ that makes us righteous. It is our faith in God that empowers us for holy living. It is the work of the Holy Spirit in us. And, and I want you to know that God is a good and gracious God. And when we believe that he is who he says he is, it absolutely changes our lives. I'm going to read these first 10 verses of Hebrews 11, and we're going to kind of go through them. Uh, together. We have a lot to cover today. I will try to be uh, efficient. Hebrews 11.1, 1, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. For by it, people of old received commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of the things that are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, uh, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, he, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch, when he was taken up so that he would not taste death and was not found because God had taken him, uh, sorry, by faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not faith de face death and was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. Without faith, it is impossible to please God, for whoever would draw near to God must first of all believe that he exists, and second, that he rewards those who diligently seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household, and by this he condemned the world and became an heir of righteousness that comes through faith. 
By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he would receive as an inheritance. And when he went out, not knowing where he was going, and he went out not knowing where he was going, by faith, he went to live in a land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has a foundation whose designer and builder is God. And we will stop there for just a moment. There is so much in this first section of Hebrews to unpack, and we will not be able to do it justice. But let me give you a little bit of uh, kind of an idea of what's going on in Hebrews. So Hebrews, written to, uh, you might be able to guess it from the title of the book, written to the Hebrews uh, so that they would make sure that they had as the object of their faith, Jesus. The entire book of Hebrews is reminding the people Christ is the object of our faith. Christ is the hope of glory. Christ is the Messiah. Christ is the promised one. He's already told the people who are listening, he's already mentioned to them that, that Jesus is better than the angels. Jesus is better than Moses. He's done that early in chapters 1 and 2. He has reminded them that Jesus is the better high priest, that Jesus uh, is far superior to the sacrifices that were offered in the Old Testament, that uh, heaven is better than the temple uh, that the, the priest walked into. He's done that through the previous chapters. And in chapter 10, he begins to call, whoever the author is, begins to call the audience to maintain, to, to keep their faith in Christ, to, to hold on to it. He tells them in 1035, he says this, one of my favorite verses. He says, therefore, do not throw away your confidence for it has a great reward. The context there is don't, don't lose hope in your confidence in Christ. Fix your hope, fix your confidence, fix your faith, fix your, your belief in God and what he's promised through Christ. And then chapter 11, uh, as an encouragement, what he does in chapter 11 is he says, look at all these other people who put faith in God. Look at all these other people who believed God, and he's reminding them, these guys are a great example for us that we would also believe God. And he gives them some really beautiful things here. One of the things he says is, faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Let me just pause right there and just point out that this verse gets used wrong a whole lot. And, and so people will use it to talk about uh, the job that they don't have yet or the new home that they're looking for or the car that they need or the pay raise. And they're like, look, I, I don't... I don't have that pay raise yet, but faith is being sure of what we can't see. That is not what the author of Hebrews is talking about. What the author of Hebrews here is talking about is righteousness, salvation, eternity, life in Jesus. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about the, those things that, that speak of who God is as a savior and as a king, the king of glory, the king of righteousness, the king of hope, the king of life. And it says, now faith is being sure of what we hope for, eternity with God, righteousness, salvation. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and absolutely certain of what we do not see. Uh, so th keep in mind here that this is not talking about, 11.1 is not talking about things that won't matter after you're dead. So if, if Hebrews 11.1, listen, I'm telling you there are some really people, great people who love Jesus who still teach that this is about temporary things and that's just not what's happening here, okay? That is just not what's happening here. Man... It's the substance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. By it, by faith, verse 2, the people of old received their commendation. I get asked this question a lot uh, as a pastor. Uh, maybe you've asked this question yourself at some point. How did the people in the Old Testament get saved? How did the Old Testament, people in the Old Testament get saved? Jesus hadn't died yet. How, do, how did the people, like, 
there's this mindset that somehow the, the, the way that the people in the Old Testament got saved was different than the way that we got saved, and that is just not the case. We are all saved through faith. He put the cross of Christ right in the middle of history. Okay, it's not quite that way, but if you'll put the cross of Christ right in the middle of history, then you're looking at the map. I flipped it around for your benefit. This is the timeline, beginning of history. This is the coming of Christ. Okay, cross here in the middle. Everybody prior to the cross who, who is saved is saved because they were putting faith in the promised Savior, the promised Messiah, the coming King. And everybody after the cross who is saved is saved because they have put faith in the Savior who came, the Messiah who came, the King who came. And so the object of faith for those prior to the cross and those after the cross is the same. It's Jesus. It's the, it's the King of glory who died and was raised from the dead for us. By faith, the people of old were commended to God. By faith, the people of old were made righteous because their faith was in Christ. We're going to come back to that in just a moment. We're going to skip Abel. We're going to skip over uh, Enoch, not because I don't like them, but because we don't have the time. There's a really interesting thing about, uh, about Abel in, verses four and, and, uh, in verse 4 there. We can talk about Wednesday night if you're interested. But jump down to verse 7. Jump down to verse, no, 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 sorry, too far. Verse 6. Without faith, it is impossible to please God, for whoever, must, whoever draws near to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. I, I don't know what kind of church system you grew up in. Um, I don't know what kind of uh, organized religion or whatever. Like, I mean, I grew up in Baptist churches and Methodist churches, and they're the there were a lot of really beautiful, good things about them. But I still grew up with the mindset that the way that I would be pleasing to God is how well I performed today. Did I, like, anybody ever, have you ever, have you ever walked into church on a Sunday morning and you felt like, man, I really need to be here this week just to kind of wipe away how cruddy my week was or how terrible I performed? And, or maybe, maybe you don't come on Sunday because, like, you're like, Man, I was really bad this week. I got I to gotta get back on track, and then I can go back to church and worship. You ever been that, like, twisted in your head? I have, you know, uh, showing up for church on Sunday morning in college and be like, well, I can't sing today because I was a bad Christian this week, and God won't want to hear me sing. And those are twisted, messed up thoughts. Those are not biblical thoughts. The thing that draws us near to God, the thing that brings us into the very presence of God is our faith in him, is the work of Jesus on the cross. You get to come and stand before God anytime you want to, not based on your behavior, but based on the work of Jesus. Without faith, it is impossible to, to be pleasing to God. Without faith, it is impossible to draw near to God. It is the faith that we have that makes us pleasing to God. It, it, this is your righteousness. The righteousness of Christ is bequeathed to you, is given to you because you believe. That's it. And that's really good news. That is really good news. I, everything else, everything else we will ever do in life is performance-based. Everything else feels like success or failure based on how well we've done it. And only in Christ do we get to say, I am righteous because of the work of Jesus, and I believe that. And that is really, really good news for us. But the second part of this verse is this. It says, uh, without faith, it is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must, first of all, believe that he exists. And second, that he rewards those who seek him. Like, listen. It's an okay th thing to say that part of the reason I'm in this is because of the blessing on the back end. Part of the reason I'm doing this is because of the reward I gained. Part of the reason that I'm doing, like, th that is it. Like, th like 
this is not, again, these are not temporary blessings. Think Ephesians 1 where it says you have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places through Christ Jesus. Like we, we get everything. I, I don't think that I can overstate the case that Romans 8 makes that says that we are heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. We, we get the benefit and the blessing that Christ gets. We, have, we share with Christ in every spiritual blessing. Like that's part of the deal. That's part of why I'm here. That's part of why I'm committed to the Lord. Yes, I believe that he exists. Yes, I believe that he's provided righteousness for me, but I'm also here because I believe that he is a God who blesses us, that there's blessing in him. Let me show you a couple of character sketches, if you'll allow me to. Verse 7. I mean, the only way you could keep me from doing so, I guess, is to go to the bathroom for an extended period of time. Uh, But uh, look at verse 7. By faith... Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the rest of the world and became an heir of righteousness that comes by faith. There is so much in this one verse, so much in one verse. So God comes to Noah and he says to Noah, he goes, hey, look, I'm going to destroy the whole world. Big flood's coming. Build a boat in your backyard. I've told you that in my head, this is a really funny picture and really funny story as Noah's building this ark in his essentially backyard, right? I mean, they didn't have like privacy fences like we did, but I imagine that they do. I don't know why, because it's funnier when Noah's neighbor's like looking over the fence at this, this, this ark that's, you know, like a football field and a half long and a football field wide and three stories tall, you know, like that's clearly coming into the neighbor's property if you have a privacy fence, right? It's just, in my head, it's funny. The Bible is really alive in my brain, and I know that it's not always biblically accurate, but (laughs) it makes me laugh, and I can't help it. Uh, And so Noah's building this ark. Why is he building the ark? Because he believed God. God made a statement and said, hey, look, I'm going to destroy the whole world. I need you to build an ark. Noah builds the ark because he believed God. That's it. Catch that. Noah built a boat, a really big boat, because he believed God. Now we can talk. uh, Well, no, never mind. That's too much of a tease, but I won't do that to you. So Noah builds this ark, he and his sons. It's a huge ark. It takes a long time to build. All these animals from all over the world come and show up. Two of every type of unclean animal, 14 of every type of clean animal. They come onto the ark. God seals them in. It begins to rain, and everybody else drowns. Everybody else dies. Notice what it says here. By faith, Noah, having been warned by God concerning events as of yet unseen, the flood that is coming that had not yet been seen, in holy fear constructed an ark for the salvation of his household, By this, by what? By building the ark and entering into it, by this, the rest of the world was condemned. Why? Because here's an ark, a judgment is coming. If you don't believe in the ark, if you don't believe in the judgment, you're condemned. By by this act, the rest of the world is condemned. And by this act, he became an heir of righteousness, righteousness that comes through faith. By this act, he became an heir of righteousness, righteousness that comes through faith. Abraham is next. Noah believed God... And built an ark. And that, the ark is a beautiful picture of salvation, by the way. It's a beautiful picture of Christ. And everyone who entered into the ark, it was eight people. Everyone who entered into the ark was saved and was called righteous. And the entire rest of the world was condemned. Noah, being warned by God about things as of yet unseen, in holy fear, built an ark. Listen, 
We have been warned by God about things as of yet unseen, a coming judgment. And an ark, if you will, has been provided for us, Christ. And we who enter into Christ become heirs of righteousness, and the rest of the world is condemned. Those who do not enter into Christ are condemned. And it is a righteousness that we have gained by what? By faith. But here's what I want you to catch, right? Our theology, faith in God is the means by which righteousness is given. It's the first part of that, right? It's the means by which righteousness is given. It's the means by which hope is awakened and blessing is received. There, there's this idea that in Christ, uh, in, 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 when we believe God, when we really believe him, when we really believe that he's good, when we really believe that he's full of mercy, when we really believe that he's full of kindness, it actually empowers action. If, if Noah doesn't believe God in this moment, then the ark's not built. Then righteousness isn't given then he also dies. I want to point out another verse. So right through this, he became an heir of righteousness, righteousness that comes through faith. One of Micah's favorite verses, Philippians 3, 8, and I'll continue reading into 3, 9. Paul says this, Indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him. Listen to this part. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes through the works of the law, but that which comes through faith in Jesus, the righteousness of God that depends on faith. He says, I've become an heir of righteousness, righteousness that doesn't come through my works, but righteousness that comes through my faith. Your belief in God has made you righteous. Your belief in the work of God through Christ has saved you. That, that's where salvation rests, okay? It's, and we're not just talking about believing in a God. We were talking about believing in the God of the Bible. We're not just talking about, you know, like Jesus being a good man. We're talking about Jesus being the resurrected king, the creator of all life, the one who holds everything together by the word of the power, his power, the one who overthrew sin and death. And when we say, man, I believe in that, I've entered into faith in Jesus Christ. I've believed in that, in that is righteousness for us. And it should dictate the steps that we take. Look at verse 8. By faith, Abraham believed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs of him with the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city and foundation whose designer and builder is God. In Genesis 12, God comes to Abraham, who at this point is 75 years old and worshiping idols. And in Genesis 12, God says to Abraham, come and follow me, and I'm going to take you to a land, and I'm going to make you into a great nation. I'm going to make you into my people. And Abraham believed God and followed him, left, left his family, left, left the city that he was part of, and went out to live in a tent, to dwell in a tent, and believe God. And what, what does the Bible say here in Hebrews? He did that not because he was looking for an earthly city, but because he was looking for the heavenly city whose architect and builder was God, that God had built the city. Abraham had in mind, catch this, Abraham had in mind when he left his family and he left his heritage and he left these things, this, this life of idolatry, when he left that to follow God, he left it with this in mind, I believe that there is a heavenly kingdom in store and that's the kingdom that I'm looking for. And that rhymes, which is really clever and fun, but I didn't mean for it to. <laughs> Abraham was a, a rapper uh, in his day and he, <laughs> he really liked rhymes. So Abraham goes out from his home, 
he's going to have a physical city eventually, but that's not what he's looking for. He is looking forward to the city whose foundation and designer and builder is God. He's looking forward to a future hope, right? That's the second part of our theology today. Faith in God is the means by which righteousness is given and hope is awakened. Abraham uh, left a city that was kind of the epitome of, of that day of science and technology and riches, and he left that because his mindset was on a future home, a future city of God, and he had a hope in what was coming next. It moved him. Like he, he, he became a nomad for the duration of his days. He wouldn't even have any of the land. In fact, the only piece of land that he would have that would be, end up in the promised land was a piece of land he bought for a burial plot. That was it. And, and so Abraham didn't even get to see this completed. He didn't, he didn't even get to see his descendants enter into the promised land. That wouldn't happen for another 500 years. And so Abraham, he, he believed God. And even though he wouldn't see it in his day, his belief in God moved him into obedience. His faith in what God had said moved him in obedience. Look down a couple of verses in Hebrews chapter 11. Look down in verses uh, 24 through 26, speaking of Moses. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. And listen to verse 26. I love it. He considered the reproaches of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking forward to his reward. Moses grows up. He grows up in Egypt. If you don't know the story, Moses, uh, at the time that Moses was born, the, the Pharaoh of Egypt was having all the Hebrew boys killed, having them all put to death. And Moses' mother hid him. Okay, Prince of Egypt, Charlton Heston, you know, like you've seen a movie of this, right? Or something with your kids or whatever. So, so Moses gets hidden in a basket. He gets adopted essentially by Pharaoh's daughter, gets raised in the household of Pharaoh. And, and what we miss in most of those movies is the Bible tells us that when he was about 40 years old, this is in Acts chapter 7, when he was about 40 years old, that's when Moses said, I'm done being called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. And when he was 40 years old, he went out and chose to be mistreated along with the people of God. We see that also here in Hebrews 11. So at about 40 years old, Moses said, I'm done with the riches. I'm done with the treasures of Egypt. And I am going to go and put myself with the people of God. And he submitted himself to the same poor treatment that the people of God were being treated like as slaves. And then one day, one day he sees a, a, Hebrew, a Hebrew man being beaten by an Egyptian man, and he intervenes and kills the Egyptian man. Long story short, Moses, Moses, the reason he gave up the palace, the reason he gave up the household of the Pharaoh, the reason he gave up the treasures, the reason that he, he decided to be treated poorly along with the rest of the people of God, catch what it said in Hebrews 11. He was looking to Christ. He was looking to the Messiah. He was looking to the anointed one. And he considered the treasure of Christ better than all the treasures of Egypt. He forsook being called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He forsook prominence. He forsook wealth because in his mind and in his heart and through faith, he knew that Christ was better than all of that. Better than what the world had to offer. 
Here's what I want us to see. I want us to see that Noah risked ridicule and, and mocking uh, to build a big boat so that he wouldn't die because he believed the word of God. Abraham left a city of prominence and a family heritage because he believed God and he believed that there was a hope for an eternal kingdom which was better than the city that he had left. Uh, who were we on last? Moses. Moses forsook the treasures of Egypt because he considered the treasure of Christ better. I want us to understand that these guys, they believed something about what God had declared to them. They believed something about what God had revealed himself to them as, and when they believed it, it empowered them to do something about it. They changed. They were different. And before we say, yeah, but these are people in the Bible. These are Bible characters. Anybody ever do that? You're like, yeah, but these are Bible characters, man. Like, we can't expect to be like Bible characters, can we? Let me just point this out. In James chapter 5, speaking of Elijah, who, who prayed back in 1 Kings uh, chapter 18, sorry, chapter uh, 17, he prayed that it wouldn't rain for three and a half years and it didn't rain. The Bible says in James chapter 5, it says, Elijah is a man with a spirit just like ours. And he prayed that it wouldn't rain for three and a half years and it didn't rain. The, the point that James is making there, he's talking about praying for healing. He's talking about overcoming sin in that section of James chapter 5. And he says, Elijah, this guy who does these miraculous things, he was a man with a spirit just like ours. In Romans chapter 4, the, the conclusion of Romans chapter 4, it says, Abraham, who we just talked about, it said, Abraham's faith was given to him as righteousness. And the author, Paul of Romans, says, this was written not only for Abraham's sake, but for all of us who would believe in God. That we, like Abraham, would become heirs of righteousness. N not only that, uh, over in Hebrews 12, at the conclusion of Hebrews 11, because that's how it goes. Chapter 11 is followed by chapter 12. Chapter 12 of Hebrews starts off like this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin which so easily entangles and fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And then it keeps going, but we'll talk about that in three more weeks. The point being this, listen. Paul in Romans says, Abraham's faith is a picture of our faith. Abraham's faith gave him righteousness just like our faith gives us righteousness. There's no distinction. The author of James, his name's James, says, Elijah has a spirit just like ours. And look at what he was able to accomplish. And then the author of Hebrews, who we're not certain of, in chapter 11 says, look at all these people who believed God and starts chapter 12 with, look at all these people who believed God so that you'll also believe God. Here's the idea. Here's what the biblical writers are trying to make clear to us. There isn't a distinction between us and Abraham. There is not a distinction between us and Noah. There is not a distinction between us and Moses. Elijah is not a better man than we are. We who believe the promises of God are just like Elijah and Moses and Abraham and Daniel and Jacob these guys, Isaiah and Jeremiah and Paul and Peter, these are not biblical characters. These are people who believed God. And here we are in 2021 and we say, man, I believe God. And what I want us to know and see and what I hope that the, the, the conclusion you'll come to is at the end of all of this is these are people who believed God so much that it changed how they did life. Because their hope was in the righteousness God supplied. Their hope was in the kingdom that is coming next. 
Their hope was in the blessing that's found in Jesus. It shifted how they approached everything they did. And when we believe God, truly believe God, and this isn't an issue of salvation. This is an issue of I've put my faith in God, but now I'm seeking to come to know him, to understand who he is. When we come to know who he is and believe who he is, do not think that we can believe who he is without it shifting how we behave. It drives us. If Noah, if Noah doesn't believe God, everybody dies in Genesis 6. If Abraham doesn't believe God, the nation of Israel isn't born. If Moses doesn't believe God, the nation of Israel isn't established as they leave Egypt. If you don't believe God, well, who knows what the ramifications will be in your family and in your life and in your plans and in your business. That brings us to our application. What you believe about God in eternity will determine your today. What you believe about God in eternity will determine your day today. There are a lot of things that need our attention today. There just are. There always will be. I, I, I get to come up for air in six weeks. In six weeks, I get to take a breath. Have you seen that meme yet? The one that says being an adult is just saying next week will slow down a little bit and you say that every week until you die. <laughs> next week will slow down a little bit and it just never happens. I mean, those of you who are parents and your kids are in all these activities and then like the lawn still has to be mowed somewhere in there. And then May 15th for me is right around the corner and I've got two different tax paperworks that are due I'm like, golly, didn't I just do taxes? And the answer is yes, last month. And then in June, I'll have to do some other tax paperwork because I'm self-employed and I've got to deal with it then again in June. And I'm just like, didn't I just do it? Like, you know what I mean? It just, there's always something, right? There's always something. And we say, yeah, these are the priorities. But I just, I, I need us to be really clear here. I need us to understand something. Our business, okay, the money that we make, the lawn being mowed, the taxes being paid, these are not the things that drive us. If you're not careful, they'll be the things that drive you and they'll be the things that overwhelm you and they'll be the things that cause you to lose sleep. The things that drive us is who God is. I raise my family and, and behave around my family in a way that proclaims that Christ is God, that there is a heaven, and that we are living for the king who will come back for us one day. That, that, that's empowering my decision-making. That is shaping the words that I use. That is, that is causing me to make, uh, the, the choices that I make are based off the fact that God is who he is. I, I remember, I'll just give you a really quick example. Uh, when I was 21 years old, and I've shared a little piece of this before, but when I was 21 years old and all of my friends who were 20 were getting engaged, I thought, I'll be getting married any day now. Uh, it was 10 years before I met my wife from that point. And, uh, and so one of the things that I thought of was, I don't really know what biblical marriage looks like. And so I began to study what biblical marriage looked like. And, and after studying it for a couple of years, a friend of mine said, you should type this up for the rest of us. And so I did, and it became the first book that I wrote called Love Notes. And it was just literally all of my notes about biblical love, like everything that the Bible teaches about what love should look like. And I studied that for 10 years before I met my wife, 10 years. 
now, here's what's interesting. Micah and I would go and do these events. Even before I was married, we'd go and do marriage conferences. And here I am, a single guy, preaching at these marriage conferences. And every now and then, people would come up to me uh, because they were jerks. And they, they would say, they'd say, well, what you're teaching is really nice, but it's idealistic. And they said, it's not realistic. They said, what you're teaching isn't actually, it's not actually practical. It doesn't actually work. And I said, then we have a problem. I said, because if it doesn't work, then it means what I'm teaching is unbiblical. Because if what I'm teaching is biblical, then it works because it's empowered by God. If, if what I'm teaching doesn't work, then I need to quit teaching it because it's not biblical. It's practical. It's, it's uh, I don't know, it's cultural advice or, you know, here's, here's your fortune cookie, you know, marriage counseling kind of thing or whatever. I said, but if it's real, and I cannot tell you the number of people, there were a lot, who came to me and said, when you get married, you'll realize you're wrong. And I said, if I'm wrong, I'm done. I, I need to quit teaching. It's biblical or it isn't. I had a lot of things where people would come to me and go, when you get married, this will change. When you have kids, this will change. When you do this, this will change. And, and let me just say something to you. There have been some things that have changed in my life. For example, if you had heard me preach seven years ago, I would be preaching to you salvation in Christ, but maintaining the salvation through works. I wouldn't have said it that way, but essentially that's what I was teaching because that's what I had heard my whole life growing up. That's changed. That's changed to salvation comes through faith and you are maintained in Christ because of your faith. It's, it's God's grace. That's changed. But what I believe about how God is loving and what I believe about how God is forgiving and what I believe about how God is merciful hasn't changed since I've gotten married. Hasn't changed since I've had kids. My point being that if what we know about God is true and right, you remember last week I said, I'm using the assumption that when we talk about knowing God, we're talking about knowing what is true about him. If what we know about God is true and right, it absolutely shapes your future. It does. It doesn't mean you won't end up in jail or prison or sawn in half or thrown off of a temple or left on an island to rot to death or fed to lions, although that's been outlawed, but could be come, come around again or burned at the stake. Like all these people who were godly people who died as martyrs, they died. Why? Because they believed God. And they believed God so much, nothing could sway them from the course. And so here's my prayer for you today, before we're actually to the prayer. This is still application. This comes from Ephesians chapter 1. Listen, Paul says this uh, to the church in Ephesus, and it's also my prayer for you. Ephesians 1.16, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in all of my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of all glory, would give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened so that you can know the hope to which he has called you and the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and what is his immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ Jesus when he raised them from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the heavenly places. In case you didn't catch all that, here's what Paul said. I want you to so deeply know God. I want the eyes of your heart to be so opened and so flooded by the greatness and the mercy of God that you will know, definitively know, decisively know the greatness to the hope of which he has called you. That you would know the blessing of God found in Christ Jesus. And that you would know the power of God that shook heaven and hell 
as the tomb was split open and Christ was raised from the dead, and now that power is at work in you. Man, I want you to know God so deeply that those things are etched like chisel on stone in your heart, and they cannot be undone, and that it changes your life. That's my prayer for you. It's a small thing. I want you to know it all and delight in, and love in, and rejoice in the glory, and the greatness, and the power, and the hope, and the reward that comes with knowing Christ Jesus. Because I'm certain that Noah is not an exception, and I'm certain that Abraham is not an exception, and I am certain that Moses is not an exception, and I am certain that Elijah is not an exception. I am certain that we who believe God will be moved by the belief and faith we have in him. And that's our prayer for today. God, give us a desire to know you more fully so that our lives can better bring you glory. Your faith in Jesus is already glorifying God so much, but man, wouldn't it be beautiful to know him more intimately, more deeply, so that whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, we can do it for the glory of God. Would you take a moment right where you are and pray this? God, give us a desire to know you. It's here on the screen. God, give us a desire to know you more fully so our lives can better bring you glory. Take a moment to pray that right where you are. God, I do ask that the eyes of our hearts would be open, that we would better see you. God, that we would come to know those things to which we have been called. That we would know the hope, the hope of glory, the hope of reward, the hope of blessing, the hope of your eternal kingdom. That we would fix our eyes on the inheritance that is set before us in Christ, heirs of God. God, that we would know the immeasurable greatness of your power that is at work in us who believe, the same power that raised Christ from the dead. God, that we would keep in mind that the faith that moved Noah is the same faith we hold. The faith that moved Abraham is the same faith we hold. The faith that moved Moses is the same faith that we hold. The faith that empowered Elijah, the same faith that we hold this day. And Lord, let the faith that we have in you do its work, shaping us for your glory, shaping us for your kingdom, moving us, Lord, in obedience to you, allowing us to risk it all, to lay down the things that we need to lay down, to take up the things that we need to take up, to be bold.
to guard our marriages and our families and to raise up our kids to know this God, you, Lord God, who have loved us and laid your life down for us. That it would shape the choices we make with our friends and in our business and just day to day. God, help us to come to know you richly, to see you fully. Thank you for the spirit that you've given us that guides us into all truth. Thank you for the spirit that you've given us that reminds us of the work of Christ and the teachings of Christ and that empowers us. And Lord God, I ask that today, today, Lord, we would declare with our mouths and our lives and our hearts and our desires that we belong to you. It's your name we pray. Amen.